Grace, mercy, and the peace of our living and reigning and ruling Lord Jesus be and abide with you this day. Amen. Today we conclude the miracles series that we've been in for the month of August. And we look at one of the most dramatic miracles that exists, raising the dead. Jesus' ability to raise the dead is, is striking. His ability to heal and even over nature, I, I think in a lot of ways, those things, even though they're beyond what we can imagine, um, beyond what we would expect probably for someone to be able to do, but raising the dead has its, it goes, it goes past the line, right? The line of what we, we can even start to kind of get our minds around. Death has its way of staying in the headlines because for the past five months, with the pandemic happening and going around the globe in, in rapid fashion, this virus that uh, has changed how we're living and has changed possibly how we're going to continue to live uh, for some time. We don't even know at this point. Statistics of, of sometime yesterday, 842,499 deaths globally. 182,779 in the U.S., 12,894 in California, 245 in Santa Clara County. Those are numbers. Those are statistics. Those are people. Those are, are real human lives that have been lost. This past week, a hurricane struck Louisiana and Texas, and the death toll from the Storm and aftermath now sits at 16. Probably going to go up. Locally, over the last two weeks, we've had wildfires burning in, well, the hills on both sides of the valley and up in the north. And the news includes that lives have been lost, in addition to property and, and acres, beyond acres, square miles of damage that's been done through these fires. At the beginning of the summer, the death of a man named George Floyd sparked protests and demonstrations and marked a dramatic shift in culture and how a lot of people are, are trying to respond and responding to uh, racial issues. In recent days, following another shooting, this time in Wisconsin, more protests and then shooting during protests that claimed the lives ugly, horrific, tragic events. Now we can hear these stories and we can hear about these lives that are lost and they seem distant. They seem separated from, from me and from my life. 842,000, what was the number? And that's a lot of people, but it still feels far away. But death doesn't just stay far away. Death hits closer to home. Over the last several years, many in the congregation have been impacted directly by death. The death of a loved one, a friend, a family member, parents, grandparents, even children, even grandchildren have died. And it doesn't just have to be recent either. 
if you go back into the past, into our lives, probably all of us have been affected, maybe except for the very young, we've been affected, impacted by a death, by the loss of a loved one. And that lingers. It doesn't go away. You don't ever get over it. That doesn't happen because death hurts. It's painful. It tears at a part of us because a, re- a relationship is, is now dramatically changed. It's, it's now separated. Death is an unwelcome invader. Not part of God's good creation. God didn't create the world and include in it death. Not from the beginning. Genesis 1 and 2 describes the creation of everything. The universe And God spoke, and things happened, and it was, and it was good, and it was very good. And Adam and Eve were part of that creation, and the way the biblical account reads would have continued to live, except that God gave them the instruction not to eat of the fruit of one particular tree. Now, some may say that death is a natural part of life, but it wasn't part of God's creation. It feels so natural because it's what we experience. It's part of our our regular every day. This is how it works, right? We've not known anyone that has lived longer than kind of the normal expectation. And then, well, some live longer than the normal expectation. (laughs) But no one goes on to live. Death seems to be there for each of us, and it's the result of sin. We heard this in our reading from 1 Corinthians 15, as by a man came death. That was Adam and Eve's failure, but even our own sin. Because Romans chapter 6 tells us the wages of sin is death, and we have all sinned. It's unwelcome. It's an invader. Later in this same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, The Apostle Paul writes these words at verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death stings. It it cuts us deep. We have felt that. It is painful. And it feels final. Friday was Drew's birthday, and uh, so we celebrated as a family. And it was a lot of fun. One of the things that he has um, are Nerf guns. These are, uh, they shoot, shoot these little um, foam bullets with a little rubber tip on them, and they actually can shoot pretty far. And so he's got this collection of Nerf guns and Nerf bullets, and he got a new gun and a bunch of bullets for his, for his birthday. And so we had a Nerf war, and, and it was a lot of fun, right? We're running around, we're shooting these Nerf guns at each other. And, and similar in a lot of ways to how video games work, you know, it's how many lives do you get? How many times can you, you know, get knocked down in this game or, or, you know, killed in the game until it's over? But life isn't like a Nerf war. There aren't do-overs. There are no second time around chances. The ruler in this narrative, and we know from the, the Luke account and the Mark account, that this is Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler, so this is, this is a person who, in a lot of ways, 
would have been opposed to Jesus, to his coming, to his authority, to the teaching that he brought, and yet he had an expectation, a hope at least, that Jesus would be able to do something for him. At verse 18 in Matthew chapter 9, he says this, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. He has a hope and an expectation that something could happen, that Jesus could do something. But for us, when, when death strikes, it feels so permanent. It feels like an end. We only have one life to live, which is why life is precious. With fires in the hills just up here and the smoke filling the valley from, well, really all three major fires that have been around there was a point where, where we weren't that far from evacuation um, watch, at least. Like the other side of Piedmont Road was mentioned in one report from the city of Milpitas, I think, that, that everything east of Piedmont, well, we live west of Piedmont, but not by much. And so we talked about what if it spreads, what if it comes this direction? We need to have a plan. We need to have some preparations made. And I know there are several other people that did the same, that gathered up things. The things that we gathered were photo albums, passports, birth certificates, important document kinds of things. We made sure that our current bills and our checkbook were in in the bin ready to go. We had things that we were putting next to the door so that if, if it was time, that we could just grab it and go to the car. We talked about several other things. Well, what about, and, you know, fill in the blank. Maybe you had the same conversation. What about some of the, the sentimental things? What about some of the valuable things that we have? Some of which are valuable because of, of we value them. Not high dollar number necessarily, but, but they're valuable to us. Either because of a history. I mean, we have... On our, on our bed, a quilt that my grandma made. It was not next to the door. Because you can't take everything you might want to take, and especially if, you know, if the fire's coming. And we talked to, to our kids about you know, being prepared and getting the things that we might want to take, some sentimental things, some things that are of value to us. But for the most part, we would leave behind our stuff. Because what's much more important was to get in the vehicle and be driving because our lives could not be replaced. Stuff can be replaced, but life matters more. Death feels final, but we have a hope for what is to come. A hope that's more than a wish or a positive expectation because by faith we understand that Jesus raised the dead. We understand that he really did that. That's what these several narratives of resurrection, of of resuscitation, if you will, have uh, described. That Jesus has power over the grave. When the crowd had been put outside, this is in verse 26 of Matthew 9, he went in and took her, that is the girl who had died, 
took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Matter-of-factly again, Matthew writes it. There's other places where he touches the, the, the thing that they're carrying. Kind of like a coffin, but it wasn't a coffin. It was, uh, it's called a beer, actually. B-I-E-R, I think is how it's spelled. Um, and and uh, the son of a widow comes back to life. How about at the tomb of Lazarus? He calls to Lazarus, 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 come forth. And Lazarus comes out of this tomb where he had been for four days. And it's actually you know, written in the, in the Lazarus account, that four-day time period, because, well, he's really most sincerely dead at that point. But Jesus raised the dead. Diseases are healed. Lepers are cleansed. The blind see. But death? Would you have doubted Jesus? If you'd been in the crowd, among the people, maybe uh, someone that knew Jairus, right? You were his neighbor, and his daughter had died. So you come over to comfort Jairus, and he takes off. He will go somewhere. We don't even know where he went, but we're still in this mourning you know, event happening. He'll come back. Um, but this is, this is what we do, right? And here he comes with Jesus, that, that Nazareth guy, um, that carpenter's son. You know, I can, I can imagine easily being caught up in the, in the doubt in that moment. And I think that's what ev- makes it even more remarkable, that, that even in the face of doubt, and even in the face of of a lot of people who would not expect for Jesus to be able to do something, that's what he does. The the miracles of Jesus weren't always, interestingly, uh, a reward of faith or faithfulness. It's important to note that, right? Jairus goes and, and, you know, states, if you'll come, then she will be made well. She will, you know, she will live. So he has a positive expectation, even, even a faith there. And in that, the story that kind of interrupts this, this narrative, the woman who comes up behind Jesus and all she wants to do is touch his clothes, right? And Jesus turns to her and says, your faith has made you well. But there's a man who was born blind, or the man at the pool of Beth- Bethesda, neither of whom seemed to have a faith or an understanding of who Jesus is or a positive expectation about what he can do. And, and what about Paul? The Apostle Paul, right? I mean, he's a rock star in, in, in the Christian faith because he learned directly from Jesus and interacted with the risen Christ in, in a mysterious way. And yet, he prayed that the thorn in his flesh would be removed, and it and it wasn't. This is Second Corinthians twelve. You know, God told him, "My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness." So, in our mourning, in our sorrow, in our need, if we wanted, if we've prayed, if we've hoped for a miracle, but we didn't get it, it doesn't mean we didn't believe enough. That we don't have a deep enough faith. It's one of, those, one of those questions. Like I mentioned in the announcements, we're going to have a Bible class that's all about questions and answers. And, 
you know, we have these questions that linger. Linger in our minds, linger in our lives. Things we wonder about. The hardest ones often start with why. Right? Why? There's a lot of things we don't understand. Now, you know, to be fair, the, the disclaimer with this study is if the Bible doesn't answer it, we're not going to make one up. Um, there are things we can't know, things we don't know. And maybe those why questions are among the, the most common that we don't know or won't know. But we do know this. Here in Matthew 9 and elsewhere in these narratives of Jesus' life, he has power over the grave. He has the power to raise the dead. The kingdom of God is manifest in Christ, and the regular rules don't apply when he's there. So to Jesus, death is different. In Jesus, death is different. Verse 24, he said to the people who were gathered, to those who were, you know, the neighbors and the relatives and the friends of Jairus, go away. (laughs) For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Would you laugh at Jesus? The Bible uses sleep or rest to designate death at different times. Even with the the death of Lazarus in, in John chapter 11, Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And so they're confused because they figure, well, I fell asleep last night and I woke up, so what's Lazarus' problem? Right? They don't understand, and Jesus uses that term. And so he uses it here, too, that, that she's sleeping, and, and Paul actually used it in 1 Corinthians 15, that those who are sleeping in Christ. I, I like to sleep. I like to rest. Right? A couple of years ago... Um, we got a new mattress, <laughs> and it's the most fantastic thing um, that we could have invested in, actually. You spend a, a third of your life, well, close to it, roughly, um, sleeping or in bed. And so having a comfortable bed is it's a good idea. And so we got this bed, and it's like the most comfortable, best night's sleep that, that I think I've ever gotten has been on that mattress. And... Um, you know, how tremendous, right? But, um, you know, so, so sleeping and resting in that peaceful, deep, you know, there have been times when it's not been so peaceful. There's been times when it's not been so restful. Sometimes in the night when, you know, the eyes open, the mind starts going, and it's even happened on that mattress too, but, you know. But imagine the most comfortable place, the most peaceful feeling, and that deep, sleep that when you wake up, you just feel like a completely new person. Can you imagine death that way? Because I think a lot of times we imagine death and, and it's painful and it's hurtful and it's hard and it's, and it's you know, life-changing, especially for the, the people who are in mourning. It definitely is life-changing and it's all those things, but if we think of death more like rest... Does it change your image? Does it change your perception of it? Now, don't get me wrong. Death is the last enemy. We don't 
we don't want to look at it as if it's some welcome, restful, you know, engaging time. Later in 1 Corinthians 15, again, Paul writes, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's in verse 26. And it is still here, and it is part of our reality, but in Christ, maybe it's more like rest, like sleeping. But it's not a permanent fixture, and here's how we know why, because Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death for us. The incarnation was always about the resurrection. The birth of Jesus was in order that he would die in our place. So his life was always headed in that direction. It was always his mission to give his life for ours. It was the fulfillment of prophecy from the virgin birth in Isaiah 7 to by his stripes we are healed in Isaiah 53. What Jesus did was on our behalf to defeat death for us. And he died. A horrific, terrible death on the cross for you and for me to pay the penalty of our sin, to break the bond because it had to be broken and death could not hold him. Rising again, he broke open the seal of the grave. So now our resurrection awaits. This is hope. This is what we look forward to. And the Apostle Paul wrote it this way. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's our Easter hope. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Death feels final for now, but it isn't. We can have this hope in the risen Jesus Because our Savior is able to do more than we ask or think. And our God will raise us too. We live live in the hope of Easter. In anticipation of forever. The greatest miracle still awaits. It's still ahead of us. It probably won't take us by the hand. Or touch some coffin-like thing for us, but we will be called forth from the grave unless we're still alive at his coming. Our lives have been touched by death, and it, it hurts. It stings. But the day is coming that death will be no more. That's the day we look forward to. While still hoping in, in our Savior who has power over the grave, who overcame death on our behalf. The one who's worked miracles and continues to do so. Some of which we see, some of which we probably miss. That's the one we trust. That's the one in whom our hope lives. Let's hold on to that hope through everything that we experience. Amen.